Welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It is my uh, privilege to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and other media publications. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Ashar, one of the top CMO, CIO followers on Twitter. He's also an author himself, a big evangelist. And of course, we're seeing him on TV everywhere now talking about digital transformation and some very, very interesting topics from inclusion, diversity, more importantly, what needs to be done in terms of life skills and leadership. So, but hey, it's not about us. It's really about our awesome guests every week. Who do we have to kick off this episode? We have a technology visionary and an expert. Michael Biltz, Managing Director at Accenture Technology Vision is our first guest. Michael leads Accenture's vision, R&D group, and the enterprise annual visioning process. Uh, through Accenture Technology Vision, Michael defines Accenture's perspective on the future of technology beyond the current conversations about social, mobile, cloud, big data to focus on how new technology will impact the way we work and live. From a new generation of technology, from augmented reality to blockchain to artificial intelligence, uh, quantum computing, this year's report, Technology Vision 2019 report, which you can find on Accenture.com Technology Vision, outlines new technology trends that forward-thinking C-level executives will use to position their organizations to shape the next generation of their markets rather than focusing on cost-cutting and efficiency improvements. He's a great follow on Twitter at M-J-B-I-L-T-Z. Welcome, Michael, to Disrupt TV. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you. Thank, thanks a lot, right? You know, for over two decades, you guys have been doing this survey, this tech vision, this annual look into what trends are happening. You know, back in 2013, you guys talked about digital business. But this year, you guys go out and say, we're in a post digital era, right? And I think that was a pretty big statement. After six years of yelling, digital, digital, it's here, right? And, you know, we're guilty too. We, we talked about this since 2010 about digital transformation. Uh, what is this? What does it mean? What changed over the last six years? Is digital over? Like, should we just give up or yeah, is it something bigger? I, I wouldn't give up. I, I think it's, there's something bigger, but there really is a change happening. You know, back in 2013, we started going into C-level executives office and basically telling them that they were about to become a software company mm. and at the time we I mean very frankly we had a bunch of people just tell us no the mm. we're being ridiculous you know we're a car company we're a you know products company we're you know it doesn't matter who you are everybody shook their head and said no we have our business you know the tech we're gonna let the technologists be the software companies but the funny thing is is that when we started really doing our research this year is we looked at 2018 and $1.1 trillion was invested in becoming a digital company by the Global 2000. It's an enormous amount of money. And when we did our survey, what we found was is the 90% of our clients are telling us that they're already on this digital transformation and more than half of them are telling us that they're well there. And so what we realized is the banging on the drum you know, for this digital transformation wasn't what needed. The question that people were starting to ask was the, if every company does this, what's next? What's that next bar? And so that's why we really started to push that says, you know what, if we're not there, we're darn close, you know, but we're going to soon enter a, a post-digital world where everybody's going to assume that you're doing the social, mobile, analytics, and cloud type of work. So the death of, so, but we'll talk more <laughs> about that later. So smack goes away and something else comes up, but go yeah. ahead. So. Or, or the massive adoption of, of Smack, meaning yeah. that uh, I think the thesis is formulated on if you are a mobile, social, cloud first, uh, or, or cloud company, um, and you are mature in terms of your data capture analysis and actioning, so advanced analytics, uh, that's great, but that's not going to differentiate you moving forward. 
No, it, it's re it's really not. I mean, and, and it's first off, you want to be careful in that you don't want to tell people they should invest in those things because yeah. the assumption is that you have enough analytics to know your customers. The assumption is that you're learning you know, how your products are being used. The assumption is that you're communicating over social media with whatever the latest app you know, that you're pushing is, is that everybody assumes these are the basics and these are just what you have to do just to compete at all. But if you're really actually looking to differentiate yourself is the you're moving to the next generation, you know, and suddenly we're not looking at smack anymore. You know, we're looking at what we're referring to as dark, you know, which is distributed ledger, a la blockchain, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, extended reality, which is both virtual reality and augmented reality, you know, and quantum computing. And, you know, frankly, just by looking at, you know, examples of people that are you know, dabbling in those things, what you hear is not the same old, same old type of service. You hear fundamentally new things. You know, so let me give you an example. So one of the companies that I like to mention, you know, is, um, you know, Volkswagen because they're doing all of that. You know, you, you look at, you know, artificial intelligence that says, yeah, they're doing the same thing. When you say all, you mean smack and dark. Oh, smack, dark, and more. And I, and I think that this is really why it's so exciting is that we're starting to see non-tech players really delve into technology for how they're going to be, you know, working in the future. You know, so you look at something like, you know, artificial intelligence that says how do you augment how people are driving on the road with a lot of the assist technologies we see coming out. You know, they're looking at quantum computing to do everything, you know, from you know, make better electric batteries, you know, to, you know, how you manage and, you know, I'm going to say predict traffic patterns. They're looking at augmented reality in order to help their, you know, their workers service cars by overlaying the instructions in front of them. You know, they're looking at things at blockchain, you know, to not just pay, you know, for things at your gas station, you know, but to do things like, how do I create an a odometer that you cannot tamper with? And it's like, well, maybe I make it public record and make it transparent so that nobody can change anything, you know, without there being a full history on it. And this is, you know, really the tip of the iceberg, you know, for what one company sees these new things as how they're going to lead into the next generation. Who needs Carfax, right? You know, we were going to have blockchain, right? So take that all away. <laughs> so. Well, no, I mean, I mean, but that's exactly right. Is the, you know, you look at it and Carfax is amazing. You know, is the I, I use Carfax when I buy a car, you know, but there's something missing, which is the I don't actually know where they got their information. You know, there are things that accidents that happen that aren't reported on there. And so can I create a view that not only uh, I'm going to say has the information I want, but it can verify that all that information is accurate and true. And if we want to dig into it, we can. And, you know, that's yeah. blockchain. But you're, also, you're also talking about something bigger, right? This is the fact that you know, this isn't just one technology again, right? We're layering technologies on top of each other as we're supporting these new types of business models. Mm -hmm. and, and this creates very, very different conditions, right? And by identifying what you're talking about, those dark technologies, you're basically saying, guys, we need to get skills in place, right? We got to talk about what the next set of technologies are and what those possibilities are in supporting brand new types of business models. Yeah. So, so the Volkswagen example is kind of cool when you're talking about that. So now, this, is this is your shift in assumptions, right? What does that mean in these trends? I mean, I, I, the, the shift in assumptions means a couple of things. Is that first off is that you got to realize that the, the skills that you're going to need for the next generation is the, they're different. And frankly, they don't exist out there. So suddenly what you're talking about is figuring out how to transform your workforce. And I don't mean hiring new folks because not like I can go out to monster.com and get all of the AI and VR specialists that I want is the it's talking about how do I create my own program to change the talents and skills that I have to what I'm going to need for the next generation. And then it's also that reassumption that says what you can fundamentally do is different. You know, so let, let me give you an example is that when we talk about post digital, one of the things that we're realizing is that the new high bar is this idea of how do I capture moments? So let, let me give you an example. So GM, <clears throat> big industrial manufacturing plants, yep. is the anything little thing that changes, you have a hiccup, causes their line potentially to stop. And every car that doesn't get rolled off means that they don't sell that car, means that you know, there's a dip in revenue. And so anything they can do to keep that line moving and going is gonna be valuable and be important. The problem is, is the, whether it's 
a tool that breaks, whether it's something that's going to be recalled, so you're going to, to do it in something new, is that there's always changing things because that's the world we live in. So what they've done is they've installed, you know, 3D printers and not nice. 3D printers to make the cars, but 3D printers to be able to make the tools that everybody is using to make the cars. So when anything changes and when anything breaks, it's not about how I order new things or figure it out. It's how somebody goes up to the 3D printer, makes yep. what they need and keeps everything moving. And so what you've essentially done is you have something that's perfectly customized to that moment and something that recognizes that I need it in that moment. And so now I'm capturing a moment in time when it's valuable because having that tool there ahead of time wasn't going to be helpful. Having to try to predict the tool means that I have to have one of every tool, so that's not particularly useful. It's rather this movement that says, how do I use all this flexibility and technology to say I need the right thing at the right time? And that's what and, and you're changing supply chains, right? I mean, yeah. the whole supply chain, you're, you're right there. You're basically creating, you don't need those big ass long supply chains that we had in the past, right? We're, we're basically looking at just in time now, um, right there, and, and really about materials. Yeah. So no, pretty, and, pretty and, but it changes the supply chain too. And that's what's kind of cool about it. So if you pull it out of uh, the manufacturing space and you look at something like uh, paper boats. So paper boats is think um, a beverage company for India, you know, the PepsiCo types, you know, and what they've done is they've basically streamlined their supply chain to a point that they can not only in their manufacturing plant in a matter of under five minutes change what drinks or the formulas that they supply, but then also make sure that whatever they're pushing goes exactly to the right place. You know, so they've got one instance where they have a beverage that they produce for a single day, for a single holiday, once a year in a single city. Yep. And they can change it, they move it there, and then they can do crazy things like, you know, different regions like different you know, varietals right. of mangoes. And so suddenly that's something they can do, but it's that flexibility and supply that says you create a new moment where there's a new demand and they can actually chase after it. Whereas everybody else says, if I can't predict it, I'm not gonna take advantage of it. Awesome yeah. drinks, Tandai, chili, guava, pan, anacom, amazing stuff. So all, all good stuff. That's yeah, amazing. I, lo I love the fact that Michael is referencing uh, you know, digital trailblazers that are digital immigrants. These are companies that weren't born mobile and social and in the cloud, and and yet they're using smack and dark capabilities is what the, you know, multiplied innovation to achieve success. Now, when we talk about post-digital era, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's level one transformation where you take your legacy processes and you modernize them with technology and you improve velocity, speed and direction. Um, and then there's business model innovation, which Ray alluded to, where you have incremental revenue from new source. Um, and, and, and it's not just transformation, transforming your existing processes like just-in-time additive manufacturing using 3D, but you're the Netflix and Uber and Airbnb. You're really taking technology, combining and creating and value that's, that's very disruptive in, 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 in market. What percentage of the folks that you study when you develop your thesis, what percentage of your clients are actually doing or have significantly on their radar new business model innovation versus modernizing their current capabilities? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think in terms of on the radar is the, the oh. they, yeah, the, on the radar, our, our studies are saying that 90% are yeah. looking at this act. Wow. The C-suite level, wow. they have plans looking to do it. I think once you, you know, self-reported, you know, so take, take it with the grain of salt that it is, you know, but I think the more impressive piece is that when we asked folks how many people are doing it and feel like they're relatively far along that path is that we've now crept up into it to a majority. So wow. it's not just the, you know, dreamers who think that one day we realize we have to do this is the majority feel like they are well within that transformation of driving business, you know, which is why we're starting to ask what's next. Are they baselining themselves against digital natives where they understand ideation to scaling commercialized product to market and scale and security? Because fundamentally, I find that the technical debt that exists in companies, let's say enterprise size, the talent that exists, and frankly, the culture and process, you know, those are, those are big potential obstacles. So it's not scarcity of technologies. In fact, the challenge is abundance. 
it's they don't have necessarily the talent, the focus, the lean processes, and, and relative understanding of the market, maybe going back to Clay Christensen's Innovators Dilemma, where they're so sentimental about the profit and the revenue that they have, they can't just purposefully break things or in parallel build capabilities. And, and so I'm, I'm surprised that 90% have it on their radar. I think that's great. I'm actually thinking, what 10% said no? <laughs> they, they're not going to admit to the self-reporting thing. I mean, I guess this is where Accenture comes in because you help companies figure out the blind spots that they have. And if there's lack of skills, you've got an army of architects and experts and, and developers you can throw out at, at opportunities. Yeah, we do, but I, I think this is a, a, a real symptom of the change that we're seeing. This is the nobody's doing these things by themselves. And yeah, plug for Accenture is that we've got you know five hundred thousand people who are going to you know help companies push this. But the reality is, is the they're doing these as groups. Is the there's a reason why companies are pushing to work with startups. They're pushing to work with the Googles of the world. Yeah. You know, and I think even more important to that is that we're also seeing them start to work with each other, you know, because we think what we imagine and I think the excitement is that once everybody's fundamentally digital, the, the possibility and the potential we have is them to connect together. It says, yeah. why isn't my drug company and my hospital and my gym, you know, and my home, you know, fitness center all tied together? And the answer is, well, it's should be and it makes sense for it to be and then by the way they need to be connected to my wi-fi and maybe they're going to be connected to alexa and then suddenly what you end up are these plays that people are doing that says well if i really want to tackle big problems like health you know if i really want to change the outcomes for people you're talking about doing these as groups and having somebody who really understands finance in the finance world and really understands, you know, drug research, you know, yep. and really understands like all of those become paramount. And so what we're seeing is that everybody's going to play to their strengths, but it starts with that basic capability that says, you know, do I need Procter and Gamble to be the forefront of artificial intelligence? No, yeah. they have to have the systems they can push in and they have to understand what they could do with artificial intelligence in order to partner with the right folks. Or the mashup of get to know me meets uh, secure us to secure me because heck, I'm not, I'm not sharing anything with you. I got my privacy at stake. This is yeah. not something I want to do. So no, but no, that's exactly. No, and, and it's really funny too, because I, I think this is the, I'm going to say the, the second half of it that says, while 90% are really investing and realizing that they need to push towards this digital, there's been a couple things that's been left behind. You know, I'd say the first thing that that left behind is we're creating a digital divide for our workforce that says, okay, so we have all of these new jobs. People are partnering with artificial intelligence. They're using, you know, bots and AI and virtual reality, you know, to do their jobs on a day-to-day -day basis. But when you look at how our organizations are structured, you look how they're training folks and recruiting them and even incenting them as the, they're still using the same stuff from 20 years ago. And so that hasn't gotten updated. And so that's going to be a problem, you know? And then the one that you alluded to that says the, <clears throat> If I'm connected to everybody, suddenly you're going to find people who are using me as a vector to get to my partners and my partners as a vector to get to me. You know, the, the example that I'll throw out there is the SEC did a bus on insider trading, you know, to the point where they've been doing this for years. You could go on and essentially create a shopping cart for what type of information you wanted from different companies. And the funny things is that hackers didn't hack any of those companies. No. They, they hack the press. They realize that they, they can get a three to five day window on all of this information, you know, by going directly to the press. And so suddenly what you realize is that I need partners who are as secure, as secure as I am. And that's going to be different. I'm trying to turn on lights. <laughs> my last question, Michael, I would love to be a fly on the wall when you and Paul Doherty and Andrew Wilson and all the like the super expert domain technology futurists get together and figure out, okay, we need to talk about only four technologies or five. How close <laughs> to make the list? Because um, quantum, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, uh, we've had experts on the show and, you know, the consensus may be general use across large 
space maybe two, three years away. And I know your, your tech vision report is three to yeah. five horizon, but were there other technologies like IoT, like additive printing 3D, like uh, wireless uh, uh, charging, or, 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 or um, we have folks from, um, uh, who interviewed uh, Elon Musk recently on our show, and they talked about just lithium battery and, and how battery technology and, and edge computing. And there's certainly a lot of technologies. Um, yeah, I mean, we're looking at everything yeah. from materials to biocomputing to quantum to IoT and others. And, and honestly, this was the funny realization. And I, I think it started, you know, three or four years ago, and we've been slowly shifting to it, is the, what we've learned is the, it's, and it sounds sacrilegious, it's not about the technology technology anymore is that you you look at our report and the titles are not AI and XR and quantum or whatever you know it's the fact that we're fundamentally doing th new things and so now we really are talking about the you know ecosystem security and that's going to be everything from AI and big, you know blockchain and everything else you know all the way through you know um, <clears throat> you know things like responsibility and those are messages because yes. yeah. this world is we're no longer limited by the technology. And I think particularly as every company, so Global 2000 non-tech companies are starting to do this too, what we're limited by is one, our imagination to understand what's actually gonna happen. And then two, the reality that says the, we're moving into this world where we're actually changing people's lives. And yeah. so suddenly my responsibility is not just as making sure my product is a good product, but I have to understand how it's going to be used how it's going to fit into our cities our governments our ecosystems and our lives because if we're going to attack big problems then suddenly you know we've got big responsibilities to go along with it well we're here with michael blitz managing director accenture technology tech he's basically focusing on the tech vision 2019 report we're in a post-digital world so you can follow him at mj blitz uh on twitter so thanks a lot for being on the show this has been awesome and uh, sharing your insights Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank Happy you. to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Oh, my God. From one disruptor to another, who do we have next? We've just talked about awesome technologies and what's happening there. And we're actually shifting to a different conversation. We are shifting the conversation, but it is very disruptive indeed. We have Mark Keller, Vice President of Global Brand and Communications at Zora. Mark leads Zora's corporate communications efforts, which help shine a light on once-in-a-century global business model shift among companies across all industries who are moving away from product-based economy to a subscription economy. Mark has been with Zora since 2015. He was part of a core team that took the company public. Congratulations. He's responsible for the company's brand and narrative in the market, including customer advocacy, hugely important, brand and visual identity, PR, AR, social media, and content. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore A underscore Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. Welcome, Mark, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for being on the show. You know, as we were saying, Michael Biltz was actually telling us, like, all these different trends are happening out there. Now we're shifting to talk about the business model piece. So let's talk about this bold survey topic that you always have, the end of ownership. Right. Give us the rundown and who was surveyed and why ownership is on the decline. Yeah, very interesting. So, um, you know, the, 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 the idea of the end of ownership came when Teen, uh, our founder and CEO, was writing his book. And we were talking about the signals that we're seeing from all around the world, all these different companies that were shifting from products to relationships with their customers and these ongoing subscription services. And we've done surveys in France we had done a couple in the UK, we'd done one in Germany, and we'd never really done one in the US because we, we figured, well, people are shifting to subscriptions like Netflix and Uber and Lyft. And so we decided, well, instead of just doing the, the US, why don't we just do the world and see where we're getting signals from subscription economy countries. And so we decided to do 12 countries and we surveyed 13,000 people to get uh, the results that we got, and what was really interesting was some of this, the the the, the similarities across the countries were strikingly uh, strikingly amazing. The fact that um, fifty seven percent of international adults want to own less stuff. Less, right? less yeah, stuff. Less Nobody stuff. wants stuff. Yeah, wants to, we, we, jokingly, we jokingly call it the Marie Kondo effect, right? Just letting go of stuff. But the other thing 
is that people, almost seven out of every 10 people we surveyed said that owning things is no longer a sign of status. And even more, what was striking is like 71% or 74% of people uh, can see themselves subscribing to more services in the future. So it was just staggering to see that across all these countries. God, that tidying up Marie Kondo thing is everywhere. I was trying to get out of that. <laughs> Mark, why do you think that is? Is it, is it, well, so, you know, we'll take ride sharing as an example. Certainly combination of mobile and social cloud and smart devices gave us access to transportation almost in real time. You know, most of us who live in the city know that literally within five minutes we can have our car of choice. And, and um, so, so I get, I get that when it comes to, you know, owning a car, right? You know, what, like homes, whether it's real estate or is it, is it just transportation or does it go beyond that? Oh, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, it's, it's music, it's videos. I mean, if you look at some of the trends, here's a quick story. When we're trying to understand like what's going on around the world, I, I asked, I'm not a psychologist, but I asked a behavioral economist and I said, well, what do you think is going on? And he said, well, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, you've got a lot of perception data. You've got a lot of attitudes about people's willingness to subscribe and, 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 but there's something fundamental about the behavior that you have to look at. So if you look at behavior and you look at things like autos, like you just mentioned, um, you know, unit sales of cars are not, are they're decelerating, yeah. and particularly in China, right? and music and entertainment. People aren't downloading as many individual songs or downloading individual movies, but they're subscribing to services and entertainment services, music services, and even, you know, you mentioned real estate, right? Um, Airbnb's revenues just exceeded Hilton's revenues. So again, it's, it's the end of ownership, but we're starting to see in people's behavior the rise of usership, as we're calling it. So it's about consumption of these services versus owning the burden of owning these products. Makes sense. No, and it's, it's not a demographic, it's not, so it's multiple countries. What about, uh, do you see uh, a variance based on, you know, age, wealth, uh, um, I, I guess geography, you said that. It's, it's, it's interesting. So we, we asked Harris to do this poll uh, because they've been doing polling since 1969, right? But the interesting thing is we have a mountain of data that we haven't dug into yet. Things like, you know, um, uh, gender, age, parental status, whether you live in ur ur uh, urban areas or rural areas, there's still like a lot to really dig yeah. through. But one fundamental thing is uh, when people are asked, it's about access, it's about lower cost, and it's about convenience. Right, so those are the, really the three drivers that people are signaling that are why they want to sign up for these subscription services. Because you know, if you can just whip out your phone and have access to transportation or movies or entertainment, that's what's really driving it. Yeah, you know, this is a big thing, and and you're also talking about something in this survey that was really interesting to me is this new freedom, right? There's a freedom. This is not a democratic process, or you know, countries getting political freedom, but there's freedom that you're talking about from what we're calling the shackles of ownership, right? Mm -hmm. So what is this as we move from ownership to access? Why is there value in this? Like, why don't people wanna own things? I don't get it. So. Well, well, I mean, just think about like a car, for example, right? So there's an upfront capital investment that you need to have. And when all you're really trying to do is get from point A to point B. But think about like in metropolitan areas, you also have to have parking, right? And so that's also an additional cost that you have to uh, consider and and then the convenience of finding a parking spot is yeah. really hard right so that's one thing but the other thing is just like um, you know you're, you're just the convenience of all of it and the lower costs and you just get the service so it's really about not having to maintain this oh my 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 engine check engine light is on or I've got to go get my brakes fixed or I've got to do all these things who wants that when you can just get access to where you need to go you know, that, that was the interesting thing about the survey. I was expecting older people to say, no, I still want my ownership. I was expecting people in developed countries to say, I want more of this. Like this survey basically broke all, all these myths, 
right? All these things we just figured about, you know, traditional demos and how people look at. And I think a lot of people haven't realized what and how groundbreaking that is. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing generational differences. Like in the UK, you'd think that the older generation wouldn't subscribe to more, but in fact, uh, they want to subscribe to more. So yeah, this trend is pretty universal. And the interesting thing is on the business side too, right? So you're seeing companies, so many of these companies really have to shift their thinking to, uh, to thinking about those customers, whether you're B2B or B2C, it's all, it's all about the relationship and what people are getting out of that ongoing value that the service is offering. Right, right. You know, in 1970s, there were only three mega cities, cities with 10 million or more population. I believe Mexico, New York, and Tokyo. Uh, there's currently, I think, 21, 22. By 2050, there'll be 50 mega cities. So certainly the density will drive greater opportunity for access where maybe you don't need a car. And for environmental reasons, you don't want to have something that's dormant 95% of the time and only in use five. So that's, that's an important, I think, factor. The other part is that, is that when you move from materialism to on-demand service, um, I believe you'll get to a potentially a scenario where talent mobility increases significantly. You're not, you're not you, know, you don't have a house, you don't have a car. So when an opportunity cross country is available to you, you just go. Um, so I wonder if companies over time will be able to find talent and there'll be much more movement in terms of recruiting the best expertise you need because you're not constrained with ownership. Does that, is that something that- Yeah, it's ownership. But the other thing is like, one of the things about subscribing to these services, consider Zoom, right? Consider uh, Netflix and your mobile devices. You are, you're, you're also enjoying the freedom of time and location. Right. right? So you, you, we're having this conversation as if we're having it in the same room because of Zoom subscription service. But also, if you want to listen to your music or you want to um, uh, watch a movie or, or you want to log into Game of Thrones, you can do it from wherever you are, whenever you want to see it. That is absolutely true. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. Now, what are some weird services or popular subscriptions we wouldn't normally think about? Like things you're just like, okay, we get it. Zoom service, music service. Right? Mm. What are the most interesting things your clients are doing that's just out of the ordinary? Well, so we always talk about these things. Like one of the most interesting to me is subscription flooring. Right, so so whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean, like like linoleum carpets, tile, concrete, Wood? linoleum carpet? But but the interesting thing is that they've got sensors in the flooring, so they know where people are going. So imagine that in retail, or imagine that in a metropolitan city where you want to see what foot traffic looks like as you're planning out your as you're doing your urban planning. So that's really interesting. The other the other thing that I like to to mention is Caterpillar, right? So Caterpillar, they're becoming much more customer centric. And what they find is it's about, you know, when you're, when you're moving earth, right? And you're trying to grade things. Think about the, the, the drones that you can use to, to think about getting exact measurements and beaming that down. And the other thing is productivity and efficiency, right? So they, they're using these, these automated, these self-driving earth movers to move massive amounts of tons of earth, right? But it's not just about those vehicles. You still have human beings on a job site. And so what they're also doing with their Cat Connect service is they're, they're making people wear vests with sensors in them. So they're improving safety outcomes. Imagine one of these massive, trans, one of these massive dirt movers is coming to you and you, you trip or something like that. Well, the vehicle knows to stop as it's approaching an individual. So these are really, really interesting applications of subscription services where you're subscribing to the outcome. You know, I want to move, I want this job to work efficiently and I want to move a lot of earth. We, we got a client that's investigating, you know, porta potties as a service, jackhammers as a service, cranes as a service. We're actually meeting with them in a couple of weeks. So very, very crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, porta potties is a great example. Seriously? A porta potties a service? The end of ownership, right? <laughs> the end of ownership. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to own that. <laughs> So, wow. When you, when you see Amazon and Whole Foods, and I've had the privilege of speaking in the last few weeks, actually, to, I think, four of the largest grocery providers in the world, um, what are your thoughts about uh, adoption of subscription services when it comes to food delivery, knowing that at some point, some of these providers have trust to 
deliver the food inside your fridge, inside your home. And since they, if, when we think about our groceries, and I would say it's probably only 10% at most variation from week to week, we, we pretty much consistently get, you know, the same produce that, that, and, 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 and um, groceries that, that, that we have in our households. Do you see that? as a sector that's going to explode when it comes to potentially subscription services? Yeah, well, I mean, my family subscribes to a lot of different food services, but one of the cool things about Amazon is they actually know you, right? So they know your entire history. They know what, what you like to eat. They know what you like to purchase, how often you purchase it. And so imagine, you know, Michael talked about this, like there's, there's so many of these devices now that are smart and they're coming off the manufacturing line and they're all connected to the internet. So we, we've heard the stories of like, oh, I'm low on milk in the fridge, but it's, it's all about the service and these services talking to each other and yeah. knowing your preferences and building up that trust that, that it makes it, again, back to cost and convenience and freedom from time and location, right? So you could imagine things being delivered without you after, actually having to even be there right. uh, for the, 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 the non-perishable stuff that you consume. What, what about the healthcare industry where the incentives are now shifting more and more towards preventative care, keep you away from the hospital? So do you see that the healthcare industry with wearables, maybe it's a, you know, again, it could be an Amazon Whole Foods or it could be an Apple and whomever partnerships where they have information from you and through a subscription service, you have this digital health assistant that's monitoring and advising you in terms of your exercise, sleep, and caloric intake. Uh, yeah. Practices. yeah, absolutely. I mean, Teen, uh, Teen loves to show off, you know, our founder and CEO, he's got these, um, he's got these shoes that have sensors in them that, that measure his, his gait and his stride and all these other things. But when you're talking about healthcare, it's really about outcomes, right? right? So losing weight, um, monitoring your blood pressure. We're seeing a lot of healthcare companies really start to think about the outcomes of the service and how you can use uh, all different kinds of, of measurements that you can wear or that you can use at your convenience in your home to really work with your doctor, work with your physician's group to really lead to these better health outcomes. But so to my understanding, there isn't a healthcare provider that's providing a subscription service in terms of health digital assistant, is there? I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't think uh, I've seen them. I, I, I have seen them. Yeah. I mean, there's, okay. there's all kinds of services where you can, you can, you know, use uh, video technology, okay. um, uh, measurement technology, and then have like a, uh, a consultation with a doctor or physician from a remote location. Oh, wow. Also get all your biometrics and all the things that are important to your health outcomes. Terrific. Wow. Wow. Well, hey, this is really, really important. I gotta ask you though, are there downsides to subscriptions? Is there, is there a reason why people wouldn't do this? Well, you say business model of the century, so should we imply it's not gonna be disrupted for the next 100 years? <laughs> well, I think what's, what's interesting again, right, is the incentives going from an asset transfer model where it's all about unit sales and you're not considering the customer to thinking about the customer as central to your business model, right, and creating value for that customer in an ongoing way. So I like, for example, I'm a drummer, right? And I, I love learning about drumming. And so I, I subscribe to various drumming services and the, the, the way that they actually keep me engaged and keep values, the, the ones that, that, that don't matter, the ones that kind of set it and forget it. But a lot of these services, these subscription services will send me like drills or things that I can practice. And that really brings me back in. So I log in and I use the service and it's creating value for me because I'm getting my own personal growth outcomes. So that's, that's one way, but it, but it really is fundamentally about the relationship. And, you know, the beauty of it is for those people that have a lot of subscription services, it's really about, it's really about their choice. So if you're not creating value, if you're not innovating, if you're not constantly experimenting, um, that's, that's not engaging with your customer. I think the engagement is key, right? I mean, you've seen yeah. this, you know, death of uh, a, a company with a colored apron that you guys love to talk about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so the question is like, you know, they basically had this, what we call the Betty Crocker problem, which is yeah. like, you know, pre-mixed cakes, people feel guilty, right? You just throw the thing in, but once you have to go out and buy an egg or do something with it, like, or beat it 
opt in, then you feel engaged or part of it. It's like Peloton, right? You get a subscription service, but if you're not engaged with other people in racing, right, you don't get the community aspect. So, so there's a lot more to that just putting a subscription in place, which people are like, oh yeah, I'm just doing a subscription business model and this is going to succeed. So, yeah. which is no, kind of neat what you're saying. So, okay. Yeah. So, hey, so how do we get ready for the shift? I mean, what are people doing? You guys got a big conference coming up. When is that? What's going on there? Right. That's right. So um, come to subscribe because that's what's really the, 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 the coolest thing is that we've got companies from every industry coming to us from all over the world. We've got CEOs, CFOs, because you got to think about the financial implications. They love the yeah, they all converge at subscribe, which is, uh, June 4th and 5th in San Francisco at the Marriott Marquis. And what's so interesting about subscribers, you've got people from all industries, right? So you've got what can media learn from the IoT and manufacturing industry or vice versa, right? Uh, Ray, we're, we're so fortunate to have Ray actually hosting a panel on the rise of usership where we're going to have companies like Fender, Music, and we're going to have uh, investment services and all different uh, gaming Right. There's there's all different kinds of industries. Yeah. The, the the gaming market is really, really interesting. Oh, yeah. That thing is on hot, uh, so hot and esports that are tied yeah, back. Sports. That's okay. right. Sports. People are consuming sports services. We are. Mark Heller, Vice President, Global Branding Communications. You can follow him on Twitter if you can find his private account. But other than that, download the survey or on the Zora website, Zora.com. It's the first international survey talking about the end of ownership and the rise of subscriptions. So. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you so much, Mark. Terrific. Wow. Wow. It's, that's, that's 40 minutes in, Vala. Like, this is like, <laughs> we're going like this today. What's happening? Yeah. You know, time flies. And uh, especially time flies with our, with our final guest, who's a first ballot Hall of Fame Disrupt TV inductee, uh, with the best background of any guest we've ever had. We have, and he doesn't like me talking about his long bio, so it's going to be short. John Reed, co of Diginomica, which examines the digital enterprise from the vantage point of real world use cases. What I love when I see John at conferences, he's usually meeting with CEOs, CXOs, and really asking them, how are you using this? What are the outcomes? What are the benefits for your customers? So great use cases. He frequently writes about it, video casts on enterprise trends. He's an advocate of media over marketing, uh, and he sees Diginomica as a chance to disrupt the media. We, for the BS Wary Enterprise reader in mind. You can follow him on Twitter. Fantastic follow on, uh, on Twitter at J-O-N-E-R-P. Welcome back, our favorite guest, John Reed. <laughs> hey, guys. How we do? We do. Hey, I wonder how many buzzwords we used in the first 40 minutes that you can go over, but welcome. Welcome. To oh, my. Oh, my and goodness. now the halftime report. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Go, John. Yeah. How do we do? How do we do? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was starting to get a little grouchy there at, at the end because there was just so much optimism. I was like, <laughs> like, oh my god! It's don't you guys, ever, don't you guys ever have to sit on an airport tarmac or anything? <laughs> In about thirty minutes. <laughs> or don't you ever get trolled on social media and wonder where the future of discourse is? Come on, but um, no, it's all good. Um, but but yeah, uh, <laughs> every day. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, no, I appreciate it. No, your 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 first two guests are doing kick-ass things, so I don't want to disparage that at all but yeah. but, um, but i do want to okay. just disparage us we'll be okay <laughs> yeah but 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 I, th I think what we kind of thought we might might do here is kind of do a a bit of a halftime report on the event season and you guys may have a couple observations as well because we're about halfway through the silly season right and, and then there's more silliness coming up so what what we have a chance to do right now is to kind of do a gut check um now i thought i might start with some um scary new buzzwords <laughs> and 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 do we know also that uh that that as, just like the flu virus gets worse and worse so do buzzwords like they're harder and harder to shake so okay so so get ready get ready for these doozies cdp Oh. oh my goodness, guys! Is that uh, CDP or MDM or is that? Uh, I'm totally confused. CRM evolution. We've been talking about CDP for years. So, but now this is the year, Vala. No, no, this and is the year. Definitely. It's it's your customer data platform, and this is how vendors are going to magically save you from all the data lakes and swamps that you're drowning in. Okay, so the, it's <laughs> all solved now. It's well, all solved now with CDP. SAP's got it. Oracle's got it. Salesforce got it. Uh, hi, Vala. Uh, 
<laughs> Adobe's got Everybody, it. Everybody's got it, yeah. a CDP. That, Everybody needs a Ferris wheel and a monorail. So and, I don't know. It's like a Simpsons oh. episode. And we have a little hat tip to uh, HFS. You thought you were ready for RPA and getting used to that. Nope. It's about IAP now. What? Intelligent automation. What is that? Intelligent automation. Automated processes. Uh, uh, integrated automated processes. Integrated, yes. yeah. Integrated automated platform, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Basically, the idea is that RPA is too narrow and task focused, and we need to be taking a bigger picture. So, out with RPA, that buzzword doesn't matter anymore. Even mm -hmm. if you're working on an RPA project right now, you got to got to rethink. IAP. Okay. This one is a special hat tip to Bill McDermott of SAP XO. You guys know this one yet? XO. It, Bala, if you get an email from Bill and he signs it XO, it's not an expression of friendship. Oh, come on! <laughs> it, it's an it's acknowledgement that, that the alignment or integration of experiential data and operational data is the future wow. of the enterprise. And of course, when you spend $8 billion on Qualtrics, which gives you some of those capabilities, you're going to want to reinforce that. Yeah. So we got a new buzzword to contend with, XO. Just in time for Sapphire, now. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and this one's really good. Um, PBR. Now, I don't know if you, you guys growing up had a little Paps Blue Ribbon time with your homies. Well, you don't get to do that anymore because now it's about predictive behavioral routing. Oh. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yep. Wow. Yep. And it, it's all about, wow. it, it, like, for example, in a call center context, it's all about aligning you with the proper associate based on perceived personality characteristics, for example. So, okay. in other words, if they get you with the right person, you're going to have a much better customer experience through the magic of PBR. Okay. So, it's not just domain expertise, it's map, mapping tone, yeah. sentiment, whatever, whatever, you know, behavioral personalities. Okay. Exactly. So, it's, so put it's, down, it's like infinite. It's like yeah. infinite ambient orchestration, you know. It's it is. One. I, it, yeah. is. it is a little bit like yeah. that. You know, you've never been yeah. on the coast without Ray bringing up uh, ambient infinite <laughs> orchestration. You know, we actually made that. We actually made that up. Where were we? We were at the Biff. We were at Biff when that happened. Actually, <laughs> factory. Another. Act. That was actually yeah, yeah. pretty good. Yes. All right. What else do we? Oh, uh, we got. What we do got, we have to worry we about? We got one more. We got one more. AI ops, baby. AI, AI ops, just when we had yep. DevSecOps, nope. now we have Dev AI ops. Fortunately, this might kill DevSecOps, which is arguably the worst buzzword in the last <laughs> The worst five. buzzword ever. Um, but but if, you, you can probably get where we're going with AI ops, right? Yeah. Which is now we're gonna we're gonna automate this stuff that much further because we're gonna we're gonna have intelligent processes now, so we can basically go home. I don't know what John, we're which do. one is your favorite? Which one? Oh, let me ask differently. Which one of these six or seven that you showed will will have will have stickiness? Will, will actually adopt? I don't think we. I don't think we're gonna adopt XOXO, but but yeah. <laughs> not because of the vendor. I just well. I just, so 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 I think one thing we have to really think about, right, is that is that obviously customers don't walk around saying, oh man, I need some CDP this week, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm looking for some AI ops, I need a quick fix for the weekend. <laughs> but but the, the, I, I think if I had to pick one of those, those bunch of toxic phrases, I would go with CDP only because like underneath the phrase, which is never really going to catch on, right. is, is a really important concept, which is that that the vendors are assuming more responsibility for what customers are struggling with from a data standpoint. Yeah. And, and what they're acknowledging is that, is that all these great experiences that we want to offer customers to differentiate the market is going to fail if, if we're operating in, these, in this world of data silos. Right. And so in the past, we really kind of left that to customers' IT departments to figure that out. And now, now I think vendors are stepping up more and saying, we're going to be part of the solution here. So, Ray, you have oh, hey, some you, of those skeptical oh, looking face. But. I, all I'm thinking about is like, how much I'm going to have to drink at conferences going forward, right? We're going to publish this list at the beginning of the conference, right? And drink when you're here, right? It's, it's just going to be brutal. Well, and, and PBR lends itself very, very well to that as also. So, so there is that. Awesome. We have the buzzword list and the halftime report. If you're at, traveling at a conference or an event, make sure you catch that list. Uh, this is some very useful information uh, at conferences on how to stay sober. Um, so. <laughs> but, but having said that, if you took uh, infinite ambient orchestration and you had to map technologies in order to make that real, 
some of these uh, like CDP and these these are those are components you're going to need, right? I mean, it's 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 hard to it's just too many acronyms and some of the old ones are resurfacing and there's definitely new ones that I've never heard of until John was on the show. But uh, but uh, yeah yeah it's it's uh, well and and you probably noticed the absence of blockchain, which is kind of interesting. I think I think marketers have blockchain fatigue. You know, it's like it's like you started handing out candies until the kids got sick and they're like, oh, we can't take any more of that. But, but the funny thing about that is that it doesn't mean blockchain's gone away, right? It just means that smart, peop smart people are now huddling in labs trying to get this stuff to work right and to scale and perform properly. And then probably in a year or two, we're going to have some very interesting use cases to talk about. So, so sometimes you take a step back and you realize that good things are happening. I mean, to me, what really resonated in this whole conversation we're listening to today and, and what kind of ties into the events that I've seen. And Ray, you may want to comment on this also because I've seen you about 25 times in the last like month. But um, it, it's this notion of like post-digital is a very interesting concept because I think, I think it is true that, that the companies get this notion of, of the impact of software. And, and you could throw the subscription piece from Zora in there as well in that sense that there's new business models emerging. Um, but what I would say is that where, where the challenge and the opportunity is, where, where, where the struggle really is going to come to a head is around the realization that post-digital also means that the digital is everything. It's not just a channel or a way to consume. It's, it's your entire relationship with that company, and, and you have to provide that across every domain. You need a different kind of partner. You need a different kind of relationship with your suppliers. Um, customers expect everything digital to, to work. Returns have to work. Inventory transparency. There's so many pieces of that that have to come together. It's, it's really about being treated in a personal and fair way across many different platforms. And that, that's, that's really, really tough for companies to, to do. And so I think that's, that's the realization that I think companies are starting to get is yeah, we can start small on a particular project, but in the end, this is going to change everything that we do. It is changing everything. It, is, uh, is digital transformation now only second to AI and ahead of blockchain in terms of frequency? Yeah, I mean, I think it's right up there. I mean, I mean, to be fair, when you talk to companies, you realize that that it is proceeding at a different pace in different industries. And depending on your business model, there's going to be more or less urgency on, on what to do about this. But, you know, because some, some industries will say, you know, you take aerospace and defense, it's, it's unlikely that an Uber type of company is going to come disrupt that industry tomorrow. Um, but, but what you come to understand is that these things are, are very deep and profound because they're being driven by culture, not by business, right? I mean, go, go, go to an airport and look at a bunch of teenagers sitting around, not talking to each other, but interacting intensely with the device um, or, or, or the way that you manage your, your, your life in a way that you never did before, like, uh, you know, managing home security on the road, whatever it is you're doing, and, and realize that that's creating a, an impetus and a pressure on every single industry in different ways. Frank, uh, Frank Scavo wrote, digital transformation should be something practical and tangible, something in reach of all organizations, provided business leaders make a sustained effort. He named five dimensions of digital transformation in his definition. You ended right. up adding three more to it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so, so Frank did a really good job, I think, of, of kind of explaining why why digital transformation um, can, can be seen in a much more practical light. Because the one the one thing where I think a lot of us resist digital transformation when we look at it is we feel like, well, this is something, a, a vendor driven thing so they can kind of sell more software and push like dramatic upgrades and stuff. And so, so we take a step back from that and we try to look at, you know, what are the realities? And so what, what Frank did is he, 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 he went on to define categories of digital transformation. There were five of them that he picked up on business processes, relationships, insights, new products and services and business models. Yeah. And, and one of his core points is, is that these are ongoing business-driven initiatives, not discrete a, a, IT projects. Journey, not a destination. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a really important point that ties into everything you guys were just talking about with the ownership and subscription economy, right? Is that, is that now we kind of have to re-earn customer loyalty every single day, which is a, just a dramatically different thing for the enterprise where it used to be about handshakes and smiles and go live party and high fives and get on the plane to the next, right? Yeah. And, and that's just a, a huge change. But what I said, what I said about Frank's piece is I said that 
that one of the big things, because in the past people have said, well, you know, this is the same, this is just business process reengineering from the nineties in a whole, in a new garb. This is just the same stuff being sold differently. And what I was saying is that the difference here is that digital transformation almost always extends beyond enterprise walls. So yeah. even if it's a more internal focused project, you, you're always thinking about an external stakeholder group that, that you're going to change their lives in some way through these projects. And in the past, the problem we ran into is that when we tried to extend the enterprise, so to speak, like I had a newsletter in 1996 called Extending the Enterprise. And, and, um, and I make fun of blockchain people, you know, look at me. I was like, <laughs> I was, I was pimping something two decades ahead of when it was, but, but, but the point being that, that they, we ran into all kinds of problems with data silos and integration, very deep technical barriers that, that have now, as to some of your guests were saying today, that, yeah. that the constraints there have gone down considerably. Right. And, and, and then I think the really big point here is that, is that we've understood now that, that these are, these, these are ultimately enterprise-wide products. They might be a little bottom-up. They might start top-down, but eventually everyone's going to have to buy into this if you, you want to make it work. But um, even though it's, it's this massive sort of comprehensive thing, you should be able to start small and affordably. And I think that's where some of the vendors that play in this space are still getting it kind of wrong because I don't know what you see, Ray, but a lot of times when I talk to customers, a lot of times they're looking at one very specific discrete project yeah. Uh, to, to start building momentum because they want to see wins along the way yeah. that there's no tolerance anymore. They can't say to wall street, like, Hey, we're going to spend three years on, you know, and we'll, we'll see you then. They can't do that. It's, uh, it's back to the point we're trying to make in this book I'm writing. And it's the fact that, you know, wall street has pretty much stripped any company out of any dollars for innovation to share buybacks, dividends, and mergers right. and acquisitions. And so they don't have a lot of room to move with. And so we're going to need no. new models uh, to pull it off. Uh, otherwise, we're we're in trouble, right? Yeah. And that's part of the the challenge, right? But but where's Hammer and Champy, man? They can come back and just rewrite everything that says reengineering and just put digital transformation in there. And I think no, no, they get a bestseller. Ray, listen, Ray, listen to this sentence. Maybe he, he's John has packed so much insight in this sentence, which is like a hundred and forty character tweetable sentence. Successful digital transformation is ultimately enterprise-wide and culturally central with buy-in on every level of the company. Dude, that is just okay. gold wisdom, nuggets of wisdom back to back to back. Mark Twain quality, Mark Twain quality. <laughs> yeah, it is, really. I'm not joking. That, that's gonna be my definition of successful digital transformation, so thank you. I will be borrowing that sentence, John, with every customer meeting that I have. Hey, I, I, I try, man. I mean, you know, and, and, and I think I think the one thing that can be frustrating is when you you deal with folks who don't seem to feel that urgency and you, and they don't feel a part of things. And I think that that when I was feeling grouchy at the beginning of the discussion, that was kind of why I was feeling a little grouchy is just because I think there's a danger here to kind of assume that this that this hyper connected, like personalized world uh, of better relationships and stuff is just going to happen automatically. It's not We're going to all have to. We're all going to have to work for it and take some responsibility for that because there's some very dystopian aspects of this that could also transpire and we need to have a vigilance and the kind of conversations that we're having now are great, but I, I wish I saw more of those uh, in, in my non-enterprise life. I mean, I think enterprise people have to have these conversations, but I wish... I wish when I went down to my, my local brew pub, like to do a little writing and say hi to people that I heard these kinds of talks, I really don't. So and, I, and I, I, find, I find myself wondering if, if these people are gonna make the cut, right? Right, um, right, right. And these challenges, when you, when you talk about a hyper-connected knowledge sharing economy and whether you misuse technology, I mean, ethical use of technology, especially when we talk about things like AI, um, when things that get super automated and decisions are being made maybe with humans and or machines or both, we're gonna be deeply challenged in terms of maintaining trust and, 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 and that balance of hyper-personalization at scale and privacy and, 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 and security. And uh, some big, big challenges. Ahead. Oh, yeah. And companies will be destroyed if they deviate from, you know, doing the right thing because they're not gonna be able to hide. It's, uh, you know, Vala, you inspired me to actually get my post out on the internet to my book. I think I'm gonna make it public next week. So, so we'll do that. 
uh, because there's there's something big shifting and, and we can sense it, we can feel it, we're not sure where it is. It's it's like that moment, like almost like 10 years ago when we were talking about the beginning and the dawn of digital transformation. So, all right, John, you know, part of the official enterprise software tech core, just like there's a White House press core, this is the enterprise software tech core. You can find it at almost every single known software event out there. We're here with John ERP. Let me not butcher another name and title. John Reed, co-founder at Digenomica. And uh, hey, thanks for being on the show. And thanks for being a frequent guest. This is a happy Friday here on Disrupt TV show. Um, and of course, we've been on episode number 147. Next week's guest, episode 148. Who do we have, Bala? We're getting close to 400 guests. So at some point, we're going to have to you know, ring the bell and uh, pat ourselves on the back. But uh, next week, we have David Armano, Global Strategy Director for Edelman. He's great. He's another guy who's really committed to social, and he's a very thoughtful, generous guy. So looking forward to learning from David. Sandy Lin, CEO, co-founder of Skilljar, will be on the show. And one of our other favorites, Doug Henshin, VP Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. So another jam-packed, big brain folks on our show next week. <laughs> wow. You know, we've, we've got a crazy, crazy week ahead as well. It's, we're, we're missed of the major enterprise software conference season, and it's getting crazy. So next week, hot events that are on the radar, um, the ServiceNow Knowledge event. Uh, we're doing our own Healthcare Transformation Summit in Las Vegas. Um, we've got Sapphire now, Microsoft builds Google I.O., CS's innovation forum, IPsofts, you know, work, uh, their analyst day and their digital workspace day, Leap and Workfront has their analyst day and Financial Force, Community Live. Uh, so it is a crazy week for events. So hopefully we'll see you out there and on Twitter. So anything on your end, Vala? No, I just feel bad that your kids aren't going to see you for a month. But other than <laughs> <laughs> They've got AP tests. They'll be fine. Don't worry about <laughs> So it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for tuning in. Recommend guests you want to see on the show from different industries, different technologies. We'll be more than happy to be flexible in terms of who we schedule the second half of this year. Our schedule is pretty much booked for the first half. And uh, we appreciate your, uh, your viewership and your engagement. Thank you so much. And as always, thanks to our awesome producer, Aubrey. So and, uh, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks,